so I was 23 years old when I first became a youth pastor. I was a young guy, um, fresh out of college. And uh, one of the things that I would do, and, and I was in Germantown, Tennessee. I'd go to Germantown High School and help out with the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that met before school in the mornings. And I might bring donuts or help put out chairs, just whatever they needed. And then when FCA was over, the bell would ring and the kids would all dismiss to go to class. And then I'd walk through the halls with them on my way out to the parking lot. Well, one day the, the bell rings and we're all walking through the hall. And uh, this hand reaches out and grabs hold of me from inside one of the classrooms. And it's a teacher. And she very sternly says, tuck in your shirt. You know the rules. And I was, I mean, I didn't have anything to say. And see, she's pulling on me. She pulls me toward her, and she actually grabs my shirt tail as if to start tucking my shirt in for me. And I say, ma'am. And she, she cuts me off, and she says, uh, if this happens again, I'm going to have you written up. And so it occurs to me, 23, it occurs to me she thinks I'm a high school student, which was very flattering but also terrifying. And the only thing I could think to do in that moment, I kind of wrestled my shirt away from her, and I said, I'm a grown-up. <laughs> I, had, I had nothing else. That, I mean, I pulled, out, I pulled out my wallet to show her my ID. I had to prove myself somehow. Um, maybe, you've ever, maybe you've been mistaken for someone else, mistaken identity. It can be funny. It can also be dangerous, depending on the context. If somebody confuses you uh, for somebody else, right? Well, y'all, as we look in John chapter 5, we saw, we saw this last week. Jesus heals a man who was paralyzed. Get up and walk, and the man does. He gets up and walks. He'd been paralyzed for 38 years. The only problem with that is that it happened on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus, in terms of how the Jewish leaders interpreted this event, they didn't care so much about the healing but somebody was carrying their pallet on a Sabbath day, and that was against the rules. Jesus seems to be promoting a sin. You can't work on God's Sabbath, right? And so they're, they're, they're mistaking Jesus' identity and his mission very clearly. But then Jesus says something that really upset them. In response to their Sabbath issue, Jesus says, My Father is always working, and I myself am working. Now, that may seem like an innocent statement from our perspective, but it creates a firestorm among the Jewish leaders. And we see it in verse 18. This is how we ended last week, and we'll show it again. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Massive shift happens right there in John 5.18. The leaders are not just, you know, skeptical of Jesus anymore. They want him dead. See, it's bad enough for a person to break the Sabbath law. You could get kicked out of the synagogue, out of the temple for that. But now in the minds of these people, these leaders, Jesus is guilty of the far greater sin. Perhaps the worst sin of all from their perspective. He's blaspheming. Jesus, being a man, is making himself out to be God. And in the mind of the Jewish people, this isn't something we even go to trial over. We'll pick up stones to stone you right now. In fact, that happened to Jesus on more, on more than one occasion. They picked up stones to stone him in that precise moment. 
for making such a blasphemous claim. And so here we are in John 5. And y'all, if there's a point at which Jesus needs to correct a mistaken identity, it would be right now. If they've gotten him wrong, if they've made a wrong assumption about what he's just said, now's the time to walk it back. Now's the time to correct it, to say, whoa, 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 you've misunderstood me. I'm not making myself equal with God. But we all know Jesus isn't going to do that, right? As far as I know, Jesus never walked anything back. The, kind of, the thing about being a perfect human being, you never have to apologize for anything. You never have to say, no, you've misunderstood me. Let me correct myself. No, Jesus takes what he just said and he expands on it. He's going to push even further. Jesus is going to drive the nail straight through. Whatever they think he is and whatever they think he's claiming to be, he's going to make certain of it here in the middle of John 5. So look with me at how it unfolds. This is John 5, now beginning in verse 19. They're upset to the point that they want him dead for making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. Now, when, Jesus, when Jesus speaks of His relationship to God the Father, we need to see a distinction between how Jesus relates to the Father and how you and I relate to God. God has made it that we can have relationship with Him. It's an amazing thing. But always there's a, a very clear distinction between us and God, right? We are created beings. And yes, God has created us in His own image. There's a very precious and high glory uh, that we've been created with and for. Uh, I think it's Psalm 8. David speaks to that glory of human creation, right? But at the end of the day, if I'm honest, if I look in the mirror, I can acknowledge I'm only a man. The Bible says I am from dust. I'm ignorant. I'm sinful, okay? I don't rise up to the level of God. And, and anyone who would make a claim like that, we'd call them crazy for doing it. But Jesus is different. And he makes it clear. Jesus is the divine Son of God. And to be the divine Son of God means... He's always existed. That's the very first thing John told us way back in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so as a divine person, Jesus Christ is part of what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, y'all, when Jesus speaks of His relationship to the Father... He's speaking uh, of unity. He's speaking of absolute oneness and cooperation and togetherness. Never at any point did Jesus Christ break away from the Father to go and do His own thing independently. No, they're always together in concert, one with the other. Whatever the Father does, Jesus says, these things the Son also does in like manner. And so think about what that, the, the, the charge now being brought against Jesus, the charge of blasphemy, 
which says a mere human being is never meant to rob God of His glory. God is God all by Himself. God is, is God alone. He's distinct. He's holy. And we can't ever dare think that we could rise up to His level or that we could shrink Him down to our level. That's blasphemous. But here's the uniqueness of Jesus. He's no mere man. We see it again in verse 20. Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing as a father, as, as, as me, a father, I would do for my sons, to show them everything I do. A unique relationship that we share one to another. Jesus is saying, that's how I relate to the Father. He's not a man trying to grasp for a position that does not belong to him. Jesus is God. And therefore, he is of the same essence of the Father. Uh, Philippians 2, Colossians 1, the Scripture tells us this over and again. They're unified. They share the same purpose and the same plan. That's why Jesus says, if you see me, you see him. Anything I do is simply a reflection of what the Father is doing. My words are his words. My miracles are his miracles. And so if you think back, even if you weren't here last week, last week Jesus heals this man and tells him to pick up his pallet and walk. Jesus is saying, the Father was doing that. Not, this isn't me acting independently. That's what God willed. And Jesus says, he will do even greater things than these. Now what could be greater than healing a man who'd been lame for 38 years? Well, Jesus is going to tell us. Look at verse 21. Here's the greater thing. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now Jesus has taken this to a next level like we're, initially the, the issue was about the Sabbath. But he's not talking about Sabbath observance anymore. He's talking about salvation. Jesus is not talking about one particular day on the calendar. He's talking about eternity. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He wishes. And just as the Father is the true and righteous judge of the world, so He has given all judgment to me, to the Son. Y'all, it's becoming clear, certainly even, even if the leaders didn't believe what Jesus was saying, it's really clear by now that He's saying it. Right? If Jesus doesn't think He's God, somebody should inform Him. He's, been, he's pretty clear on it by now. He's not God's puppet or God's mouthpiece. He's not merely a prophet that God sends a message through to get to us. No, Jesus has all authority to give life to whomever He wishes. And He has all authority to judge the world in righteousness. So that with the outcome that the Son will be honored as the Father is honored. 
And y'all, what the, you think about what the Jewish leaders were doing, and they're now, they're bloodthirsty. They want to kill this man in front of them because they believe they are the ones who are honoring God. We're the ones obta- uh, maintaining the Sabbath rule. He isn't. We're the ones who have a lowly view of ourselves relative to the holiness of God. This man claims to be God. We're honoring God by getting rid of him. That was their mentality. But Jesus is flipping the script on them. He says, only if you honor the Son can you honor the Father. Anyone who dishonors the Son by association dishonors God Himself. So what Jesus is claiming here is no small thing. He's saying that salvation and judgment, life and death, have been entrusted to Him as the divine Son of God. He just keeps doubling down. He's not walking this back. It's, and you think about it, it's no wonder that these people wanted to get rid of him. You think about the threat that he brought into their midst. Nobody can talk like this. Nobody's meant to talk like this. And so at the very least, if he's not an evil person, which they claim later on, they accuse him of being a Samaritan. They accuse him of being demon-possessed. You work your miracles by the finger of Satan they said. If he's not outright evil, he's at least deranged. He's at least insane. What could possibly compel a person to talk like this? They're wondering. What's he trying to accomplish here? Well, Jesus tells us. He tells the leaders in front of him, and he, by extension, he says this to us. This is, y'all, this is one of my very favorite verses in the Bible. What is the significance of all this authority being given to the Son, life and death, Uh, salvation and judgment. Why wouldn't God the Father just keep that for Himself? Why does He hand it to Jesus? Here's why. Here's His mission. Look at verse 24. This is who He is. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Hearing and believing. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul says the very same thing. Hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And to those who hear and believe, they receive eternal life. And y'all, we talk about this every week. Eternal life has many facets, many dimensions. We could talk about all the different ways eternal life comes to us and blesses us. But there's one specific truth Jesus has in mind here. And man, I hope it sinks in for us. The one who hears and believes receives eternal life, and here's what that means. He or she does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. Y'all, that's a promise from the mouth of Jesus Himself. That to trust in Him means that on the day of God's righteous judgment, those who believe in Christ will not be put on trial. You will not be asked to make a case for yourself to show why you deserve to be in. In fact, if we just take Jesus at His word here, you will not come into judgment at all. And why not? Because you've already passed out of death and into life. 
Y'all, that's a past tense, what's called a perfect action, meaning it's already been done and it carries forth through eternity. It's something that's been done and can't be undone now forevermore. To receive Christ by faith means something has been done by God on your behalf. And the Scripture says, this is, uh, uh, Colossians 1, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to a new kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. 1 Peter 1, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Y'all, we will not face judgment for our sins because our sins have now been forgiven and removed from us. I've heard a pastor say it like this. To be a Christian means your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past. Your judgment day is not something you have to worry about as yet to come because you can actually rejoice that justice has already been satisfied when Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself on the cross. And y'all, this is, this is something I hope that we never ever get over. As long as we live, we never just nod in agreement with this or yawn past it. The Scripture is telling us something about Jesus. That He holds the keys to life and death, to salvation and judgment. And rather than dangling those keys over our heads to see how high we can jump, rather than acting as a dictator, squashing us under His authority, Jesus comes to us as a servant and as a Savior. He lays down His own life to save us from eternal death. He took on the full judgment for our sins that we might be forgiven and redeemed. What kind of God would do that? A rebellious sinner like me, what do I deserve? I deserve to face judgment. And on that day, I would have no excuses and I would have no argument. But I will not stand at the throne of judgment because it's already been taken away through the grace of Jesus Christ. I didn't do that. I couldn't. He has. And y'all, Jesus' power to save us is so complete, He's left nothing up to chance. There is no longer a threat of judgment for those who are His because He saves us to the uttermost. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not just a little condemnation, not just less than there was before, but none. Because the judgment has been satisfied in the past. I don't have to satisfy in the future. Y'all, we, we see why the message of Jesus is called the Gospel. Good news. It's good news of what God has done to save us, to give us what Jesus calls the new birth. It's life in place of death. And so I, I don't, please don't walk out of this room this morning thinking that somehow Jesus came to help me. He did not come to help us. Help would do us no good. Help would do you no good. 
help getting right with God. That sounds great. A lot of us, that's what we want. We'd settle for that. Get me a little closer. No. He's done far more than that. He doesn't help us save ourselves. Y'all, we were, when our kids were really little, we were watching a show on Disney Junior. Two girls were, were in some kind of danger. And a princess swoops in on a magic carpet. And they hop on the magic carpet and she flies them to safety. And one of the girls says, thank you for saving us. To which the princess replied, I didn't save you. I just helped you save yourselves. I got up off that couch. Turned that TV off. No more Sophia the First in this house. I, would, I, you know, I know it's a cartoon. I'm not trying to read too much into it. But the message was very clear. What a modern message. I can help you save yourself. Doesn't that sound good? That way you still get saved, but you at least get some of the credit. Y'all, that's not how this works. It couldn't work that way. Jesus has to save us completely. Someone has to die in our place. And that's what's happened in the Gospel, the good news. Jesus does not come to aid you in your pursuit of God. He comes to take a dead person and make you alive. How does He do that? Look at verse 26. This just gets more amazing. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. It's here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. Y'all remember who the dead are? The spiritually dead? That's all of us who at one time were under the condemnation of our own sin. Uh, the Apostle Paul explains this at length in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go read that later, Ephesians 2, that we were all, all of us, once dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And y'all, that's what makes what, what Jesus says just, just stunning. That the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. And if we want to push on that illustration, we might say, well, wait a minute, how can a dead person hear? Right? How could a dead person respond to the voice of Jesus? But he tells us in the very next verse, if you see verse 26, he says, the Son of God has life in Himself. How is it that the voice of Jesus brings dead people, spiritually dead people, to abundant and, uh, and eternal life? It's because the voice has life in itself. Jesus is God, and therefore He has life to impart. That's why back in verse 21, He said, the Son gives life to whomever He wishes. Y'all, you don't have life in yourself. And I don't either. And that's another distinction between how Jesus relates to us and how we come to Him. We don't have life in ourselves. This is not something we can manufacture. You were created. You were conceived. You were birthed. Even right now, all of us, there are a million tiny unseen processes that keep us alive. And greater than that, it's God who keeps us alive. If the Lord wills, James says, we will live and do this or that. I got up this morning because God willed it. Apart from God, I have nothing. We are totally dependent creatures. And so, y'all, when Jesus says, the dead 
will hear my voice and live. He's talking about a power we can't possibly comprehend. There is a divine power in Jesus Christ that we cannot possess on our own and activate through being good and religious. It's something He must give by His grace. And all we can do is receive it. Y'all recall, uh, again, last week, a, a man paralyzed for 38 years. How does Jesus heal him? He looks at him and says, get up and walk. The voice of the Son of God creates what it commands. He has life in Himself and imparts life to those who are unable. And y'all, even greater than that, what Jesus is saying now, it's not just about physical healing or circumstance. He's able and He's willing to give eternal life to those who are dead in sin and yet believe in Him for His grace. Good news. As we, as we close out this Scripture, we can't miss the, 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 the other side of this coin. Maybe it's helpful to think of Jesus as a two-sided coin here because He's actually told us two things about His authority. Right? The thing we've been focusing on primarily is the authority that the Father has given Him to impart life, to bring the dead to life, salvation. But remember also, Jesus said, I've been given all authority to judge. The Father doesn't judge. I'm the judge now. And that's the role that He concludes with here at the end of this paragraph in verse 27. Look at the other side of the coin. And He, the Father, gave Him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus is the Son of Man. That's a title given to the Messiah all the way back in Daniel chapter 7 speaking of the One who will have glory and dominion over all the people of the earth forever and ever. The Son of Man. That's Jesus. And that means that Jesus is the One who will rule as Savior, yes, but also as King and Judge. And so, Jesus says, a day is yet coming, a day yet future, when His divine voice will ring out and every single person who's ever lived will respond to His voice and will be raised. Some to a resurrection of life, others to a resurrection of judgment. And the dividing line, Jesus says, is good and evil. Those who did the good deeds are those who have by faith lived for the glory of God, and the rest are those who remained dead in their sin without faith and will fall rightly under the judgment of God. Y'all, whenever we come to, to Scripture like this, I get a lump in my throat. And you should too. We should never read about judgment and smile our way through it as if it's, it's somehow it's not, a, it's not a real thing or not a big deal. This is... This is very sobering, and it's meant to sober us. That straight from the mouth of Jesus, there's coming a resurrection of the just and the unjust. 
a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto judgment. Never does the Bible give us a third option or a middle ground. There are no opt-outs. All of us, every one of us, will be raised to one or the other. And if that idea makes us uncomfortable, if it makes us squirm, I think it's meant to. And it might just flat out terrify us. But I want us to close like this. And y'all, I don't ever want to soften what Jesus says here. We shouldn't soften it. But I do want us to consider the source. Think about the man speaking these words. I mentioned this a moment ago. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the keys to life and death, to salvation and judgment. He does not hold those keys over our heads to see if He can coax us in to proving ourselves to earn our way in. He does not dangle a carrot in front of us to make us work for our salvation. And He sure doesn't look down on us with scorn, wondering how we could be so evil and have missed it so badly and cast us aside. This is Jesus we're talking about. The One who died on the cross for the ungodly. And so even as judge, and y'all, we don't like that word, we don't like that title, we love Savior, but judge seems so harsh. Let me tell you this, on the last day when Jesus judges the world, there will not be a single person who will accuse Him of being cruel or indifferent or unloving or unfair or unjust. No one. Because the judge of the world was Himself judged for our sake. He came in the flesh and took on a cross. Even in the last days, if you read in Revelation when it speaks of the last days and these great judgments, the the reference that's continually made to Jesus is of the Lamb who was slain to ransom for Himself people from every tongue and tribe and nation in all the world. The one who shed his blood that the dead might be made alive. Jesus is not an unloving judge. No one has ever loved us more or ever could. And there's no one that we'd rather be holding the keys to life and death than him. And so when Jesus speaks of the judgment, we take it to heart that by God's grace, he would grant me life rather than death. Death is what I've chosen. Life is what He gives. I've got no way to close this except to just quote Him again. So let me do that. And and I pray, whether you've been a Christian a long time or whether you're, you're new to these ideas altogether, would we look to Him with the eyes of faith, just as He said, and receive the great gift He's come to give? Truly, truly, He says, Everyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. Does not come into judgment. But has passed out of death and into life. Let's pray. Father, I pray with great joy this morning to consider, I pray that we would just 
be beside ourselves. That in our sin, in our lostness, in our darkness, in our rebellion, in our death, you did not simply leave us for dead. You did not start over in disgust and leave us to ourselves. But you sent us your very Son. The only man who has ever lived with a perfect record, absolutely fulfilling your will in everything he did. So that his perfect life might be accounted to us. And then he died on the cross as payment for our sins so that His sacrificial death might be counted for us. We are forgiven and counted righteous because someone has taken our place. Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has not believed that good news and has not trusted in the goodness of Jesus as Savior. I pray it may be done right now. Received with gladness and joy. Life in place of death. Redemption in place of rebellion. Father, do your great saving work right now through your Son. You're always working. I pray it. And Father, for those of us who know You and have walked with You, Lord, make this a fresh and glorious truth for us today. We do not walk under a dark cloud of judgment. We do not fear the judgment that is to come because our judgment has already taken place in the cross of Christ. Father, let us live as free people, as joyful people, as gloriously obedient people. Not obeying out of fear of what might happen if we don't. But living for Christ out of gratitude for all that we have. Thank you for these words. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ never once walked his words back to satisfy the crowd. He preached what was true and we now stand in it. Thank you. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.